You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. We have spent uh, several months going through 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and we have now today started the last chapter of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3. And we are only just a few more weeks in this sermon series. The sermon series is called The King is Coming. I hope now you see. Sometimes, you know, it's like, okay, why are we calling the series that? I hope now you see as we're going through over and over again, just the King is coming. The King is coming. And so it's an encouragement in how to live life today in light of that wonderful, wonderful day. So today we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. We pray for the ministry of the Word, and then we will read the Word. Lord, thank you for your incredible grace, Lord. That, Lord, why, why are we gathered today? Lord, what, what brings us together? It's your grace. You are gathering your people to praise you, Lord. You are gathering sheep into your fold, into your family, Lord, that you would be exalted, that you would be praised and glorified, that you would be made known in every neighborhood and nation, and you are doing that even this morning as you gather your church. Lord, may you speak to us through your word. May you have your way. May you be exalted and glorified. May your church be built. Comfort, correct, encourage us in whatever way you need to build your church, that we may exalt you. Lord, we love you, and we are very aware that the only way we have come to know and love you is because you have first loved us. And we are glad. Oh, Lord, we praise you. May you be exalted now in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray and the church says, amen. Amen. Follow along with me as I read uh, 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be beginning of chapter 3, but I'm actually going to begin in verse 16 of chapter 2. It kind of launches us into chapter 3. If you remember, Paul has been talking about the king coming. He's been pointing our eyes to eternity. What's going to happen on that day and, and the vastness and the greatness of that day? And now he turns here. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now, chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen. Amen. Many years ago, uh, my family, as as a kid, we went to a theme park. 
And there was this ride that I couldn't wait to get on, but it was a unique ride that, that kind of was very different than all the other rides. It, it wasn't a ride that was outside, it was actually inside. And this ride had this, this huge screen in front of you as you walked in, and the screen almost, almost wrapped around you, kind of filling in your whole vision. And as I, as I sat in my chair and the screen came on and the ride began, it was almost as if you were flying through mountains and into the clouds. And at just the, the right moments, there were these bursts of air that were in the room to make you feel like as if you were f- actually feeling the breeze as you flew through the sky. And as a young child, you can imagine, I was just... You know, um, it was incredible. I realized this was like nothing I had ever experienced in my life. And for a moment, for a moment, it, it really was as if you had been carried away, that you were just carried away. And the reality of that I was actually sitting in a large room with a hundred other heavily breathing people sitting next to me, kind of just sort of flashes in the, in the backdrop and goes to the background. And um, you're, you're almost, uh, it's almost as if you were kind of just swept away into this dream. And then, just as abruptly as it had began, the reality of the lights began to just turn on, the screen turned off, and people begin to get up, and it's almost as if you're suddenly jolted back to, oh yeah, I'm sitting in a chair, and I got to get moving, or else someone's going to walk on me. <laughs> you know, get going again, get moving. In the last few weeks, Paul has sort of taken us and the Christians in Thessalonica out of the present-day hardships and kind of ushered us into the clouds of heaven as he swept us away into the beautiful and incredible, powerful moments of Christ coming again, of his second return, and the comfort that every Christian is to have to gain as we regularly think upon that day. But then we get to chapter 3, and chapter 3 is as if the lights turn on. The, The screen stops, the dream almost comes to an end and says, oh, oh wait, but you're, but you're here today. You're in the here and now of today. You're kind of living in between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And life is hard. And the happenings of today are uncertain. And there is still very much the presence of sin and the flesh and the enemy of our souls that wages war against us. So how do we then live And how do we live for the right things? And how do we endure trouble and trial as we await that coming day of Christ? Well, today's passage, today's passage is almost as if Paul is going to show us. The reality of living in a hard, hard and difficult world, kind of the lights turn on, but then it's almost as if he shows us, okay, but this is how we are called to live in the in-between. We're called to live in the in-between of Christ's first coming and his second coming. So, the first thing we see as we're living in the in-between is live for the spread of the gospel. We are called to live for the spread of the gospel as we live life in the in-between. In verses 1 through 2, Paul Paul begins with a a prayer request. He, He has prayed for this church. You might be thinking, as we've made our way through First and Second Thessalonians, there has been a ton of prayers in, this, in, in these letters. There really has been. 
Paul has prayed over and over again for this church through First and Second Thessalonians. Paul, we know, has a big view of prayer, and we've talked about that. And he now asks this church, them, to pray for him. But listen to the emphasis and just what he is asking for them to pray. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us. And here's the emphasis, the content, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Paul Paul could have asked this church to pray for anything, but the emphasis of his prayer request is aimed at a life lived for the spread of the gospel. When he says that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, he's expressing a longing that the good news message of Christ and his saving work may go forth into the world powerfully and gloriously, just like it had done in Thessalonica. Paul lived and breathed to make Christ known, didn't he? He lived and breathed to make Christ known. It was his very existence. He, he recognized that he existed so that the fame of Jesus would spread in every neighborhood and nation. And it is even made visible through what he asks other Christians to pray for him. He's not simply just praying for rescue. He's not simply just praying that, pray for my circumstances, that life would just be easy. He's saying, pray that, that the gospel would go forth. I don't know about you, precious saints, but often I don't find myself just waking up saying, I'm just praying for the gospel of Christ, the good news message, the message that points hearts to our precious Savior. I don't just wake up saying, oh, may that go forth today through me. It does at times, but I feel that wrestling of the flesh I feel the distraction of the world, the cares of my heart for so many other things from the moment I wake up. So this kind of just begins to grab at us, even just the content of his prayer, what he's asking them to pray for, that the gospel would go forth. Paul knows that that he didn't want to just spend his life. He didn't want to just spend his life and and waste the short time he had as he lived in the in-between on merely eating and sleeping and watching ESPN and having a good job and a carefree life and then one day dying. Paul wanted Christ to be known, so then his ambition is that the gospel would go forth. That's how Christ is made known on this this earth, that his good news message would go forth and extend among the nations. Paul uses a beautiful way to describe the work of the gospel here. He says that it may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Literally, the word for for speed ahead means to run. It's used all throughout the scripture and often it's translated as run. He's echoing Psalm 147 verse 15 when he declares that, when the word declares that God sends out his word upon the earth, and you know what it says? And it runs swiftly. It runs swiftly. And so the, the word picture that, that, that Paul is using here is, is the gospel going forth like a runner in the world. 
but not just a runner, a triumphant runner, a runner who is powerfully contending against all opposition, a runner who's running and winning. That's what he envisions for the gospel. And just like at the end of a race, the victorious runner is crowned and robed in this glory and splendor. But it, it, it's, it's thought that, that Paul, as he's writing this second letter to the Thessalonian church, that he's in Corinth at this point. And so it makes sense about what he's seeing around him, even in the culture and society of, of Corinth, that then he's, he's relating that the same, I'm seeing these runners train and work hard and for these games here, but, that we, that we, but we long for the gospel to go forth triumphantly. And so he envisions, in a sense, this runner who's crowned at the end of, end of a race, and they're, they're in a sense, they're, they're clothed in splendor on, as they're victoriously presented before all to see. Paul is envisioning the good news message of Christ in that way, crushing the opposition and running swiftly and victoriously and then being glorified among the crowds of cheering saints who have been saved by grace. That's what he's envisioning here. Just like it had been done in Thessalonica among the church there, he longs to see it happen over and over and over again. Remember, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul describes that victorious work of what happened in the church there. He describes the work. Listen to this. Uh, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, beginning in verse 5, he says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And then later in verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The gospel came to them victoriously, victoriously. The gospel won their hearts over, leading to the word of Christ and ultimately then to Christ himself being clothed in splendor by their joyful praise. Precious saints, if you're a Christian in this room, have no doubt. How, do you, how have you come to know the king of the universe? How have you come to know your precious Savior, because of that powerful, victorious work of the gospel. Amen? That is how you are sitting here. If you're sitting here and you're a Christian, it is because the gospel has run swiftly in the power of Christ and rushed upon you and won your heart over. Oh, beautiful. And, and so what we're doing today, what we're doing this morning is just declaring that. As we sing praises to Him, isn't that what we declared together? The, the, the praising Him and His glorious grace and His victorious Word that has conquered and championed our hearts. That's what we're doing this morning, precious saints. And that is the visible distinction between the world and Christ's people. That's the visible distinction between the world and Christ's people because some people, the Word comes upon them, but it's not honored but others, it rushes upon them, and all of a sudden, they're here on a Sunday morning waking up early, 
and singing praise with their hands high and clapping and shouting and saying, thank you, Lord Jesus. That is the distinction between the world and Christ's precious blood-bought people. Wherever the gospel goes forth victoriously, in the hearts of his people, Christ and his word will be clothed in splendor. It will be honored. And our longing, precious saints, we're joining in with Paul. We want to join in with Paul to long for that word to just keep going. That's why we planted a church here. It wasn't that we were uncomfortable. It wasn't that we were longing for something different. It was that we were saying, Lord, we feel, we feel compelled by the gospel to come here, to bring your word. We want people to know your word. We want malnourished sheep to be fed your word. We want lost sheep to be gathered to you. And so send us wherever you want us, Lord. Send us wherever you want us, that your gospel would go forth to your people and that your name would be exalted and your fame spread. That's the longing and the foundation of this very body. There's a video I love to watch. In fact, I, I recently showed it to my little girls of a tribe, a tribe that's in this remote jungle. They've been cut off from modern civilization and having their own language. And so there are these challenges to the gospel going to them. But after much hard work, much hard work, having to learn this language, faithful Christians were able to hear the gospel and in the glorious power of Christ, many of them came to saving faith. And the video, the video is of them receiving their first Bibles that are translated into their native language. And these Bibles are being flown into the jungles where they lived, and it's being given to them. And it is so compelling. It is overwhelming. Because as the Bibles are being given over to them, the people begin to cry out to God. They begin to cry. These are, these are tribes people. And they're still kind of dressed in the tribal garments and things. And they're crying out to God, thanking Him that He would come to them and make them His people. And that He would then give them His word in their language. Oh, in tears. There's one, there's one brother who's in tears saying, saying, it, it, it lets us know the reality of our God, that He loves us, that He would speak and that He would give us His, His Word in our language. That he would speak to us that way. And these, these precious saints, men and women, are just crying out with gratefulness, wailing with gladness, yet filled with humble hearts. And they begin to sing and dance and praise God for His glorious grace to make them His people and then to give them his word. I see it, and I'm like, they don't care who's watching them. <laughs> they don't care about what's proper in this moment. They are singing out and crying out to their great God. Overcome in gladness, the glory and splendor of the word of Christ. Oh, church, as Christ's people, may we never cease to celebrate what we have received. I long, I long, I long for people to just enter in. And I know there's no perfect church, right? We, we always talk about that. This is not a perfect church, but we want to be faithful and we want to love what the Lord loves. And we ask him, teach us to love what you love and teach us to hate what you hate. And I long that people, when they come in, 
that they wouldn't be freshly aware of like, oh man, that, you know, that, that preacher, man, he had that one great illustration, or man, those singers, they just knocked it out of the park, or man, just the, the aesthetics were just beautiful. No, we, we hope, we long as a pastoral team that when people gather with us, they would see almost as we're watching these tribes people that, oh man, they are grateful and they love their Savior and they are humbled before their Lord and it is clear, it is obvious. They love their Savior and they love one another. That is a humble and glad people. Precious saints, that's what we long for here. May the Lord make us humble and glad people. Leave it not to the remote tribes to just celebrate what they have received. May all the church celebrate what we have received. But here's the reality of living life in the in-between. Here's the reality. The word of Christ is crowned as champion in some hearts, while others consider it foolishness and despise it and hate it and oppose it. Paul says, for not all have faith. Not all have faith. There may even be some, even in this room, gathered among us, among the people of faith, but yet not not a person of faith. And they hear some of these things, and it's just foolishness. I'm just, I'm just along for the ride here. Our prayer is that, that the Lord would rush upon you victoriously. But the reality is there are people. We live in a world where Paul says there are wicked and evil men. Wicked and evil men, perverse men who hate God, who hate his word, and who hate his people. This past week, you know, since I love church history, And this past week on October 6th was the anniversary of the death of William Tyndall in 1536. That's a long time ago. He was a part of the Protestant Reformation, and so he was known as a reformer because in in the times in which he lived, the Catholic Church basically had a lockdown on, on the Word of God. And any translation outside of that, so an English translation, was actually illegal. It was illegal to translate the Bible in English. It was in Latin, and so they sort of were, only they could teach it to the people. And and what you were seeing happening is that the word was being abused, and it was not being taught rightly. And so it was a dark time. People didn't have the word. They They couldn't just open on their bed tables and have the Bible there. I got so many copies of Bibles in my office, and they didn't have that. They didn't have a single one. And so the word was being taught, but it wasn't being taught appropriately. It was being taught with all these other rules and regulations and all sorts of things missing. And so people, it was this spiritually dark time, spiritually dark. Can you imagine that, that you don't have the word? You come to gather and hear the word, and when I give you the word, I'm giving it to you wrongly? Oh, my. Oh, my. That that was these days. That was these days. That's what was happening here. But William Tyndale was filled with gospel ambition to translate the word of God into English. And so he set out to do that so that the gospel would go forth to every person, that the word of God could go forth. And a friend heard of what he was doing. And this friend tells him, we were better with, without God's laws. We're fine with the Pope's laws because he knew it would cause all sorts of strife and difficulty. And William Tyndale responded with this. He says, I defy the Pope and all his laws. 
If God spare my life many years, I will cause a boy that drives the plow to know more of the scripture than you do. <laughs> and he was opposed greatly. One Catholic theologian, this will be up on the screen, who opposed the Reformation, he said this about translating the Bible into English. This is what he said about the Bible being translated so that all people could read it. The New Testament translated into the language of the people is in truth the food of death, the fuel of sin, the veil of malice, the pretext of false liberty, the protection of disobedience, the corruption of discipline, the depravity of morals, determination of concord, the death of honesty, the wellspring of vices, the disease of virtues, the instigation of rebellion, the milk of pride, the nourishment of contempt, the death of peace, the destruction of charity, the enemy of unity, the murderer of truth. The word is opposed, precious saints. And those who love the word and want to spread the word are too. Over and over again, there was just opposition. One Catholic bishop thinking he would stop William Tyndale from getting the word out bought all the Bibles he had, thinking, I'm going to stop him from going out. And you know what happened? It ended up funding better Bibles to be made and to go out to more people. So praise God. Praise God for that. In the end, Tyndale became a hunted, a hunted man for simply wanting the word of Christ to be honored, wanting the word to go forth, wanting the gospel to be known. A friend invited him to go somewhere, betrayed him like Judas, turned him over to the authorities, and William Tyndale was strangled and tied to a pole and killed. He was burned at the stake for loving the gospel, for loving the word and wanting the word to spread. His last words were this, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. That was his cry at the end. That's a man, by the grace of God, not by his doing, by the Spirit of God at work in him, who was captivated by wanting to see the gospel go forth, the word of Christ be known, and Christ himself exalted among all the nations. Oh, precious saints, may the Lord, may we, I, I read that. I love church history. I love to read about revivals in the past, and I so long for that. And I look at that, and I read that, and I say, I don't want that to just be left back in 1536. Lord, will you fill us with a passion for the gospel to go forth? Fill us, waken your church. Stir within us a longing for you. That was William Tyndale's last prayer. Lord, open the eyes of the, of the king of England's eyes. And by the grace of God, in much difficulty, under one year later, the king of England declared that Bibles should be given in every parish throughout England. A year later, the same king who killed him now is declaring those Bibles need to go out. 
There is much grace in the midst of difficulty, but it will be opposed. The word of the Lord is to be precious and honored in the sight of his people. And it is to be our ambition as long as we live in the here and now to spread it. That is to be our ambition. So Paul asks the church to pray for the messengers of this good news message to be delivered from these wicked and evil men, that they would go free and not hindered. And why? Because the message cannot spread unless the messengers are able to spread the message. It wasn't for his own comfort. It wasn't just because he was, I just want to be saved from trouble. It was because he was so long for the gospel to go forth that any hindrance would just be removed. And so, Lord, would you deliver us from wicked and evil people that your word may go forth. You may have heard it said, live the gospel and if necessary, use words. The word says, in one way, it does say, we are to live to adorn the gospel, right? Adorn the gospel to show its tangible beauty and glory in our lives. But the reality is the gospel is a message of words. And the gospel doesn't go forth unless Christ's people live to speak those words. So Paul's request is, oh, may this gospel go forth like a victorious runner through us. And so, Lord, whatever hinders your work of the gospel, may you remove it. For Paul, all of life revolves around the gospel gloriously marching forward today until that day when Christ gloriously returns. Brothers and sisters, this is to compel us. It is to compel us and wake us up to the reality of what we are living for. So let me ask that. What are you living for? What do you wake up? We, by what we, our minds are fixed upon, by what we spend our time on, and I realize we got to work. There is work. Work is real. We got to work to provide for our families. We got to work and labor. Jobs have to be done. There are tasks to be done in this world that we live in. But when you wake up, what is your heart set upon? What is your mind fixed upon? Are you all consumed by what? What? What are you all consumed by, precious saints? And here's the prayer. May the Lord, the same spirit that compelled our brother Paul and compared our, compelled our brother William Tyndale so long ago, may that same spirit compel us. Compel us this day with a passion to see his glory fill the earth. So whether you are married, single, have a job, jobless, looking for a job, retired. You do not exist merely just to exist. You exist so that the glory and fame and the word of Christ may go forth. Second thing, as we go with this gospel ambition into our day, received by some and rejected by many, enduring the trials and tribulations of this world, what is the comfort and assurance of our heart? And that's what we see in verses 3 through 4. That as we're living in the in-between, live in the assurance of the Lord's faithfulness. Live in the assurance of the Lord's faithfulness. Paul says that though we live in a faithless world, in verse 3 he says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. First, 
this verse reminds us that just who are we dealing with when we are dealing with the wicked and faithless of the world? If we're not careful, we've talked some about this in, in 1 Thessalonians, but if we're not careful, we can sort of just be cruising along. And when there's opposition to our faith, we can kind of think, oh, I just, we're thinking in kind of just worldly terms. Like, man, they just don't like me. Maybe it's my personality. Yeah, we just have different personalities. I don't know what it is. I wish they would like me more. We can kind of go to a shallow end of the pool there and forget there's, this is a spiritual world we're living in. And why do people hate God and hate His people? Because there is an evil one himself behind it. And we can forget. We're kind of just cruise boat Christian. Just kind of going. And we need to be awakened to the reality there is an enemy who hates the church because he hates Christ and he hates you. Paul would say, obviously, in, in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let me give you an example. This past week, I was talking to a precious friend of mine, a dear brother, and he was telling me a story that had recently happened to him. He was walking on a bridge, and he said just to himself, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to share the love of Christ today. Anybody I see, I'm just going to try to talk to them and engage them. And as he's walking on this bridge, this man is coming past him, and, and he looks to him, and he says, hey, good morning. And he's walking, and the man kind of snarls at him. <sighs> he tells him, have you seen the day? And then he says, how's your vision? And he keeps walking. Now, here, here's the thing. Here's, here's why that's, that's startling. Because my friend loves God. And my friend's vision is about 50% bad. Where he can't see a lot of things. And this man walks by him and snarls and says, how's your vision? And as the man keeps walking, there's a crowd of people coming and the man gets louder and he yells and he points to my friend and he says, God loves this man. God loves that man. And he keeps walking, snarling and talking. And my friend, Precious Saints, is convinced that it wasn't just a wicked man, but that there was an evil one behind the wickedness of that man. And I will tell you, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. And it's startling, and it wakens us to the reality of where we live. The reality that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But here's the assurance of our heart. The Lord is faithful. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. All throughout this letter, when Paul's using the, the word Lord, he's connected it to Christ. So he's talking about Christ, the Lord Jesus, that your King, your Shepherd and Savior, He is faithful. He will establish you and He will guard you. Now, these words, these words somewhat can be skewed, right? There are groups of Christians who can hear these words and say, oh, see, life is just supposed to be daisies and roses. It's going to be all okay. There's no difficulty because the Lord will establish us and guard me. But that's not the aim. That's not the aim of these words. 
The aim of these words are to assure the Christian's heart and soul. At the end of chapter 2, verse 17, what we read at the beginning, Paul was praying for these Christians and he prayed, he prayed that the Lord would comfort and establish not their brand, not their name in the city, that he would establish their hearts, their hearts, that he would establish their hearts for every good work and word. This establishing that the Lord will do is, is literally to comfort and strengthen their hearts in the face of trial. The Lord is faithful that, that they would be inwardly firm and committed in the faith in the midst of evil men and the evil one. That they would remain in the faith, that they would remain in trusting Christ, that Christ himself will establish you and guard you and preserve you. That is the heart of this text. That the evil one will not snatch you away. Though he snarl and try to intimidate, that's often what I've seen. Anytime I've seen something like that, it is snarling and intimidation. But there is no true power there. Because the one with the ultimate power will guard and keep. Amen. Amen. That is the promise. But Paul, once again, pointing us that, that Christ himself, he will not lose one of his own. He will not lose his sheep. He will not lose you. You cannot be snatched away. He is a good and faithful shepherd, the Lord points to. So once again, Paul is just reiterating this as he's already talked about earlier in this letter. He, he assures the Christian's heart by helping us to see that our preserving or persevering faith is not built upon our own endurance and strength, but upon the persevering faithfulness of Christ himself. Amen. Look at what else, what else he has confidence in in verse 4. What else does Paul have confidence in the Lord's faithfulness? He says this, And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Paul, in the, the very next verses, is going to call them to many commands. He's going to charge them. He's going to command them, call them to a holy life and to follow Christ. But he's not looking to their own strength. He's not looking to their personalities. Well, that guy's just a really faithful guy. Where is he looking? To Christ himself to Christ's faithfulness, that Christ will faithfully continue to grow his people spiritually. So he's not just establishing them, guarding them. He is growing them. He is faithful to grow his people despite their wrestlings. So not just their wrestlings with the world, not just their wrestlings with the devil, not just their wrestlings with the flesh, but it all. The Lord is faithful to keep them and to preserve them and to sanctify them, to lead them into paths of green pastures of obedience and fruitfulness in Christ. He is faithful. And precious saints, this is a, there's, there's so much, there's so many hooks in, in these verses to grab onto to find comfort and assurance. Okay, he's, he's going to establish my heart. He, in, by his faithfulness, my faith will persevere. 
Oh, he will guard and keep me from the evil one. So I don't need to fear the snarlings and intimidation of the enemy. And then here, I don't have to become overcome and restless or fearful, wondering about, will he forgive or will he keep me? No, he promises he will finish what he has begun in the hearts of his people. He will sanctify them. That, that there's so much assurance here for, for you personally, as you are aware of areas of sin that you struggle, these moments that you feel like there's this war within almost, but yet by Christ's faithfulness to keep you, forgive you, sanctify you in the power of His Spirit at work in you, helping you and strengthening you to resist sin or to turn from sin when you stumble and follow Christ in His Word. He is able and faithful to enable your faithful growing in Him. Amen. Precious saints, so that's both encouraging and comforting and assuring personally and and it's an assurance for our hearts as we walk alongside others. You live life in the church, precious saints, you're going to be sinned against. You live life in the church, you're going to see someone wrestle with sin. If you're living life, life close to one another, you're going to see that happen. And this particular truth assures our hearts as we walk alongside one another through sinful moments. Because it kind of assures us, it assures us that when someone we love it struggles with sin, whether that be our husband or our wife or our children or a sibling or maybe a brother or sister or a friend in the, in the, the local church, we feel hurt by the pain, we are troubled by, this, by their sin, maybe it's even sin against us, but the assurance of our hearts, the confidence we have is that if they genuinely belong to the Lord, He is faithful. And he is able to continue the work he has begun in their hearts and lead them to repentance and that they would continue to grow in him. He will not lose any that are his. Precious saints, this, that particular truth as a pastor is, is, is like life for the soul. Because as a pastor, you walk through so you walk alongside and, and through circumstances with people, right, who are wrestling with sin. And sometimes at first, they don't always respond well when you bring something to mind or bring something to light or encourage them away from something. I've had people hang up on me on the phone. People reject, leave. And the assurance of my heart is not that because the temptation is, oh man, I've been rejected. To feel that hurt and that pain and all of that kind of stuff. And then you wonder about them. But the, but the, the, the encouragement, the, the assurance of our hearts that helps us keep going and trusting the Lord for people is that if they belong to Him, He's faithful to finish what He started. And He will not stop until He's done. First, First Thessalonians, He ended with, He will surely do it, right? He is faithful. Precious saints, as we live life together in face-to-face -face ministry, caring for one another, walking alongside one another, that is, that is the great unifying factor of the church, is Christ at work in one another and trusting that to be the case. Trusting that. 
In closing, Paul has moved from a prayer request in verses 1 through 2 to a declaration of the Lord's faithfulness in verses 3 through 4, and then he closes, he ends here with his own prayer for the precious saints in verse 5. And I think it's a prayer that echoes for us today, precious saints. Hear it, hear it, and let it wash over you. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And so what do, what do we see? The last, the last thing is we're living life in the in-between, to live for the gospel, live in the assurance of your Lord's faithfulness, and now live in the love of God and the endurance of Christ. Live in the love of God and the endurance of Christ. The main character, did you notice this? I love this as we read through our word. I, I, I just love this. As you're reading through these verses, there is one thing that he kind of almost keeps, keeps on repeating, this, this main factor in the life of the Christian, and it's the Lord Jesus at work in us. It just over and over again, the Lord will do this. It's the Lord's word that's running victoriously through the world. It's the Lord who delivers his people. It's the Lord who is faithful to establish. It's the Lord who is faithful to guard and to keep. And it's the Lord who is faithful to sanctify you. And it's the Lord himself who must direct your heart that is so often prone to wander and weary and doubting. It's that Lord who will direct that heart to his love, to the Lord's love, and to the endurance of Christ. I love that because what does it do? It just takes our eyes off of all of our trying to look to ourself to do it. How many times have you thought that? Or how many times have you heard someone say, I just got to do this. I just got to be better at this. I just got to stop doing that. But this just takes our eyes and says, no, look to your Savior. Look to the one who is able Look to the one who is faithful and look to the one who is with you. That's what this passage declares. It's just beautiful. May may he himself, this is what Paul prays, may he himself, the Lord Jesus, grab a hold of your heart and steer it, direct it away from the love of sinful pleasures of this world, away from fear of man, away from the fear of the enemy of our souls, away from despair and doubt and towards the love of God, and the steadfastness of Christ. Some of your translations may actually say, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness or endurance of Christ. The word there can be to or into. And I actually think that that's a better translation. I think into is a better translation of this, into the love of God and into the endurance of Christ because I think it captures the heart of what, I, of what Paul is praying here. In light of what he has prayed over and over again throughout First and Second Thessalonians, that in the midst of a world filled with cruel hate towards them, that they would know afresh the undeserved and unwavering love of God for them, and so then be comforted. It's a Romans 8 echo that for what or or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, the word says. For I am sure that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, precious saints. Paul doesn't just want them to look to that love. He wants them to be engulfed in that love. So hence then, I think the word is into the love of God. May he direct you into the love of God. So on top of knowing this love, the prayer is may Christ direct you into his love, to not just know his love, but to be engulfed by his love, that the love of God would wash over you and overflow out of you and spill over in love for one another and love for those who despise you. Oh my, that's a radical love, isn't it? But isn't that the love of Christ? He came to those who had despised him, and yet in grace and mercy, undeserved love and kindness has saved them. Products of grace, every single one of us in this room. Products of grace. Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. He prayed this already. He says, he says may the Lord make you... Those passages blow me away. Can you imagine when I'm, I've been going through Psalm 119 and I'm just, because it's, Lord, make me to love you, cause me to know your ways, teach me all of it, all of it. That's what he says here. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Oh, such a, oh, I got to keep going. I'm sorry. That they, that they may be hidden hidden in the love of God and overflow with the love of God as they live in a hate-filled world where enemies abound. And the same is true as, as Paul prays for the Lord to direct their hearts into the endurance of Christ, that in the midst of such troublesome circumstances where we can grow faint and weary precious saints, that the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus, may direct their hearts into the endurance of their Savior. That he doesn't just intend for his word to run swiftly, to endure the opposition. He also intends that his people run the race with endurance until he comes. And where do they look? Where do they look? Do they pull up their bootstraps? Do you pull up your bootstraps and say, I just got to try harder? Oh, man, I just got to do this more. No, as we're directed into the endurance of Christ, it's almost as if they are to look to their Savior's example and look to their Savior who endured for power to endure. They look to their precious Savior. They look, we, we look to Christ. We take ourselves, our eyes off of ourselves and our own inability to endure because we are weak and frail. And we look to our Savior who has endured in our place and who is able to help us endure in the faith. The writer of Hebrews echoes this, and this is the last part. The writer of Hebrews, hear, hear this, precious saints. Hear this, and may the Lord hide it in your, in your hearts as you go forward today. May the Lord hide it in your hearts, because I know there are hard things going on. There are worries. You're probably sitting here even worried and struggling with things. 
whether it be sin or provision or whatever it is, but hear how you will endure. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, so hear his endurance here, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he's not left you, he's reigning supremely over your life who's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him, the word says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Isn't that what Paul's praying here? May the Lord direct your hearts into the endurance of Christ himself. Oh, precious saints, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. If you remember anything, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Find within his endurance your endurance. May this prayer be for you, precious saints. And may the Lord awaken us what are we living for in the in-between? What are we living for as we await that coming day when he will return? May he find us faithful. May he find us faithfully living for the gospel to go forth. May he make that a passion of our hearts. And may he find us living with our hearts assured in his great faithfulness towards us. And may he find us loving and living in his endurance. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.